Well, good morning, Emmanuel family. Welcome to church on a Sunday morning. My name is Matt, and uh, I want to share with you today something that's it's, uh, on fire in my heart, and uh, I know that'll come through uh, for the rest of the day. But, you know, I'm not up here very often, and so maybe, is it okay with you I start out with just a, maybe a little bit of a story from my own life? In fact, it's it's kind of part of the love story between me and my wife. That's what we're going to start with today. And I want to take you back right away to 2007, May of 2007 in particular. And I want to show you a picture from that time. And here it is. This is our wedding day. Now, I noticed some things right offhand with this photo, like who in the world would allow me to get married in a suit that doesn't fit? Uh, <laughs> secondly, my wife is just as beautiful today as she was that day. And that's her grandfather, a retired Baptist pastor, marrying us. And the irony in that, knowing that years later I'd be standing on a stage talking about Jesus, uh, is just crazy. But see, this is May 2007, and right, right after this, obviously, was our honeymoon. And our honeymoon was great. We spent that in a condo on the beach, I think, four or five days or so. And that sound of the ocean pouring in through the open door is something that you can't re recreate. I don't care what kind of sound machine you buy. You just can't recreate that. And it was amazing. Our honeymoon, let me just tell you something here, our honeymoon was so great that by the third day I had blown out my right knee, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I should probably tell you that's because I was trying to put a sock on while standing on one foot, and I literally tore the cartilage in my right knee on day three of our honeymoon. And so uh, the story's not as fun as some of you were thinking, but, um, <laughs> but all the while the that fresh time in your marriage, right? The idea of passionate, uh, passionate love, the, the deference every single day to, no, 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 what would you like? No, 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 what would you like? The, just the, 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 the fervor of what an early marriage looks like. Now, here we are almost 10 years later, and if I were to tell you that the same passion, the same deference to her every day, the same love and, that we had then lasted every single day from then until now, you'd probably call me a liar, right? Day in and day out. And that's probably true. Now, it's true that that hasn't been true day to day to day to day, but I'd like to prove that to you today. We're an authentic church around here, so let me just simply take you to my living room. Three weeks ago, I would say three weeks, my wife would say six weeks because she's good at that and I'm not, so it's probably somewhere in between. But I want to take you back to my living room where I'm sitting on the couch, and I've got a laptop to my right that's open. I've got a phone that's sitting here next to me. I think something was on the television. And my wife starts to talk to me about something that's on her heart, uh, something that's, uh, that she's passionate about. And, and as she's going on, something that you need to know is that my wife is a Cajun woman, which basically means that she was born in, a, in an area of south central Louisiana that she spent a lot of time in as a child, uh, has a lot of family from that area. And I don't know if you knew, but a couple of months ago, they... They suffered from some of the worst flooding they had ever seen in that area. And you see, my wife was trying to tell me that, that what was laying on her heart is how we were to, to go about helping uh, the people from down there, her people, actually. And so for me, as a husband, I go immediately into fix-it mode, right? So I'm like, all right, so okay, your immediate family, right? So uh, cousins and aunts and uncles, like everybody's house that you know is okay, right? Yes? Okay, no one's underwater? Great, okay. So no one practically needs help right away that we is in our family? Nope. Okay. All right, we're solid. So what's the big deal? <laughs> and what she was trying to tell me is that her heart was broken. That the areas that she experienced as a child, uh, uh, some of the extended family relationships and 
they were hurting, and what was on her heart is just how to go about helping. And yet, I just, I didn't, I didn't get it. I just simply didn't understand that. And I'm grateful to have a wife that checks me when I need to be checked. Now, some of you husbands know what I'm talking about right now, and you're either proud of it or you're, yeah, that's right, she does check me. But I got a wife that checks me, and so she, she did what she does too often, unfortunately, and she had to look at me and say, hey, does this even matter to you? Like, like this is a big deal. Like, I'm hurting here, and, and you're not even, like, you seem like you don't even care. And in that moment, I realized that, you know, she was, like, she was right, that I had hurt her. And like every good husband does, I was trying to be, trying to be honest about that. I, I said something probably like, you know what, honey, you're right. I, I didn't understand how, how big a deal that was to you, and I'm sorry, and I just need to try to be more intentional when we're trying to talk to understand your heart and kind of where, where you're needing me in that. And because I married a woman that checks me when I'm wrong, she doubled down. You see, the problem is, is that I probably have said that four, five, six, maybe seven times in the last year or so. Listening is a problem for me. I'm a talker. That shouldn't surprise any of you. And she looks me square in the face and she says, you know what? That's great church language. I'm going to try to be more intentional. Why don't you just do it? And it hit me. You see, I had hurt my soulmate. I had basically told her without telling her that what mattered in her heart didn't matter to me. And you know, when I think about the relationships of people around me, I think about marriages of of those that I've seen around me, this is a relationship killer. This idea that I had not been focusing on my wife, the time I was spending with her, I wasn't focused on her. Now, I'm grateful to have a strong marriage, and I'm going to talk about today a little bit about why I think that our marriage has some strength, certainly where I need some work. But along the way, while that didn't hurt us too badly in our marriage, but you know what I realized is that I have seen other marriages not be so lucky. I've seen other marriages fail because of similar situations. And what I came to, to feel and what God was, was building in me was this, this desire, this, this, this fire to say, you can't simply just be okay with that. I'm, I'm done just hoping my marriage is going to be okay. So today, I'm going to talk about the idea of marriage. Now, for those of you who are not currently married, I just want you to hang with me today. Because what we're going to talk about is important for you too. Maybe you are young and, and haven't been married yet. That's okay. These things can be valuable for your future marriage. Maybe you've been married before and it hasn't worked out and you've suffered through divorce. This is about how you make it right the next time. And I know that some of us in this room today are widowed. Maybe you had a marriage that you consider was amazing and yet they're no longer here with you. I'm here to tell you it's valuable for the influence that you have in the lives around you. You see, I don't care where you are in your journey today with relationships or marriage. All of you and all of us can probably agree with my next statement, and it's the first filling in your notes this week. It says, a perfect marriage isn't possible, but a great marriage is. A perfect marriage isn't possible, but a great marriage 
is. You see, as I was, this idea was building inside of me and God was shaping this in my heart, I couldn't help but bring in Bill Miller, our, our, our campus pastor from the Banta campus, we call him Banta Bill around here, and Debbie Kidwell, one of our biblical counselors. The two of them uh, handle our biblical counseling. Uh, they direct it here uh, at all of our campuses at Emmanuel. And I couldn't help but bring them in to help shape what it is that we need to make sure that we as a body are focused on when it comes to the idea of marriage. Because you see, they help heal couples' marriages all the time. They help heal folks that have had to suffer through divorce. And so when I sat down with them, I said, you got to tell me, hey, here's what's on my heart and what I think God's trying to show me, but you got to tell me, what is it that you see couples struggling with even before a marriage may fail? What is it that you need to make sure that we tell the people of Emmanuel? And so the ideas we're talking about today are focused on what the three of us were able to put together. But first and foremost, what does a great marriage look like? And I think we can see that. It comes from the, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, in a particular chapter 5. There's a section in there, Ephesians chapter 5, that starts very simply with the idea that husbands and wives should submit to each other out of reverence or respect or in honoring Christ. So basically, we should honor and respect each other out of reverence and respect for Jesus and what he did for us. Now, lots of you men in the room, especially if you read the Bible, you know the very next verse in that section. And it's that one about, hey, that wife should, uh, the wife should submit to the husband, right? Well, let me just make something perfectly clear today. Marriage is a team sport. So today I'm going to talk about the one-on-one -on -one kinds of things about marriage. Yes, there are different roles, uh, slightly different roles for men and women in marriage. And I'll pick on those and make fun of those in a little bit. Uh, but the idea is, is that we're talking about a team sport that marriage is today. But let's go to what Ephesians 5.33 says. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves his fantasy football team. Each man must love his wife as he loves his car. Each man must love his wife as maybe he loves his job. That's not what it says. It says each man must love his wife as he loves himself. You hear that, gents? You're supposed to love that lady of yours like you love your own soul and your own body. Now, wives, I don't want to leave you hanging for too long because it has, it has something to say about you as well. The last half of the verse says, and the wife must respect the husband when he deserves it. The, the wife must respect the husband when he finally picks up his socks off the floor. No, the wife must respect the husband, period. Now, wouldn't it be great if this was just all it was about? The knowledge that's in this verse, right? Some of you women right now are thinking about how, how do I find on Pinterest the 10 foot by 10 foot version of this on my wall at home? Because just knowing that it's about love and respect should be enough, right? No, it's, that's not good enough. You see, the next fill in your notes is why that's not good enough. Because I believe that your marriage is under attack. Your marriage is under attack. Now, how do I know that? Well, I know that because I know that your soul is under attack. And if your soul is under attack, so is every other thing and person in this world that relies on it. And I want to show you why I think that's true. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we get a picture of this idea. These are Jesus' words, and I want to show you why I think this is true. The thief's purpose, the thief here, is Satan. 
The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, this is Jesus speaking, is to give them a rich and satisfying or abundant life. You see, you may have heard this idea before and translated that to your personal relationship with Jesus, and that is certainly true. But Satan wants to steal your intimacy. He wants to kill the communication that you have between husband and wife. He wants to destroy your marriage. And this idea that that our souls are under attack and our marriages are under attack also makes me think about a a passage from back in the book of Ephesians, but chapter 6 this time. And in particular, verse 13, which ends a section called the armor of God. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about what the armor specifically is and what the breastplate means, but I want to show you the instruction that the Apostle Paul gives us at the end of this section. He says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. We made yellow on purpose this week, put on. Because Paul actually has to instruct us to defend ourselves against the battles that he knows are coming. Some of us, we think that when we accept Jesus and we bring him in as the Savior of our lives, all of a sudden our lives are great. This protection that's provided by Jesus is automatic. And we at this church just don't don't simply believe that trouble's not going to come once you accept Jesus. The same thing is true for some of us that got married in a church, maybe, or by a pastor. We believe that, hey, well, I got married in a church and, uh, you know, the pastor, so... Hey, uh, my marriage is blessed by God himself. But that's simply not it. You see, if the battle's going to come, if our marriage is under attack, well, I believe we have two options. Number one, we can cross our fingers and just hope it's all going to work out. And the second option is to fight. And what I want to talk about today is the next fill-in in your notes. You have to fight for a great marriage. You have to fight for a great marriage. You see, this idea of fight, you know, I come from the world of politics, which fight just means a different thing. But today I want to talk about, I want to share a story about these gloves. You see, these, uh, I gave these gloves as a gift to my mom in 2011. And, you know, in August of 2011, my mom learned that, uh, that she had stage four lung cancer. And so uh, that first conversation in her living room that night, through some of the tears, I saw this, this fire in her eye. This, this idea that she was going to fight this, even if it meant that she would lose the battle in the end, she was going to fight the battle. And over the next week, I was trying to think of ways that I could encourage her in that fight. And so I bought some boxing gloves. And... Uh, I wrote some things on there, and and I sent them around to to different family and friends around the country, and they wrote some encouraging words. But I want to read to you one of the things that I wrote on this glove. It says, um, Everything good in me has come from you, including the fire to fight when the fight is worth winning. My mom would lose her battle with cancer almost a year later, but, but I hold on to these gloves because... You know, if you've ever seen a family member or a friend fight cancer, you know that fire that I'm talking about, that deep down fire. That 
is the fight that I'm talking about that's required to have a great marriage. The kind of fight that would force you every single day to wake up ready to defend your marriage against what will come against it. So how do we do it? Let's get practical. Because when Bill and Debbie and I got together, we've got three things that I think are extremely potent to making your marriage a great one. The first one, in your notes, you must be a God-centered spouse. You must be a God-centered spouse. Now look, for some of you, this might seem obvious, okay? You might say, okay, yeah, 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 I know, I have to know God first. But you know, this idea about being God-centered is completely counter to how we're built, isn't it? We're built to be me-centered, especially in today's selfie world, aren't we? We're built to be me-centered every time that we enter any relationship. You know that if you're married, and I will tell you, you know that if you've had a seventh-grade girlfriend. We are me-centered people. We enter every relationship, especially marriage, with a whole set of expectations. And if we're honest, most of those are unrealistic. This idea of unrealistic expectations has power in marriage, and I want to show you why. Here's what Mary Lehner from Arizona State University has to say about the idea of unrealistic expectations. She says, unrealistic expectations have led us to a point where we expect one person to meet an impossible volume of needs. We expect to fall in love with someone who will take care of us, raise the children, pursue a career, and oh, by the way, let us pursue ours as well, fix the plumbing, cook the meals, mow the lawn, keep the house clean, and, of course, be a caring, considerate friend and my favorite lover. You see, Mary Lehner is a professor of sociology that studies why marriages fail. We have whole academic study in this country about the idea of why relationships and marriages fail, and what she's saying is that unrealistic expectations and what we get from those is destructive in marriage when we are me Center, because when I put my contentment, my hope, my security about who I am and whether or not my spouse meets the expectations that I have, I'm going to be wrecked by this world. And this idea is found in Scripture as well. Because the gap that we have between the unrealistic expectations not being met is really the reality in this world. We have an expectation it's not met. That gap I believe we can find the answer to in in the book of Psalms, in particular, chapter 62, a hundred other places in the Bible too, but I want to show you what Psalm 62 verses 1 and 2 says. It says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. This is what it looks like to be a God-centered spouse. Some of you want to elbow your neighbor right now, being your spouse, saying, you got to be God-centered. Let me just remind you, this starts with you. When you center your hope, your contentment, your security in Christ, you will not be shaken by anything that happens in your marriage. And I know a lot of us would love to have a marriage that no matter what comes along, we would never be shaken to our core. That's what it looks like. Number two in your notes this week, you must invest your time and focus to have a great marriage. You must invest your time and focus. This is a double fill-in for us this week. It's two-ply, like great toilet paper is, on purpose, because time and focus are two different things, and we're going to talk about that. You see, as I was talking to Debbie about what she wanted to make sure that couples heard, she actually shared with me something that she learned in her own marriage the hard way. 
she has this to say about this idea of investing your time and focus. She says this, your spouse is the first and primary human relationship that God entrusts you with. Now, when she told me this, she said, I realized that Jeff is the first. And here's what Debbie means by first. Very simply, this is about an order of priorities. If you are a God-centered spouse first, let me show you God's design of what your relationships look like. Very simply, it's God first. It's your spouse second. And it is everyone and everything else after that. Now, some of you heard this late in the summer when we had Michael Cast from Southeast Christian Church come up and fill in for us during Danny's sabbatical. And you heard him design this order for you, and yet we still, some of us, have not plugged that into our marriage. And you know, recently I was talking to some friends about this, about this idea, and the reason that I got there with them is basically that, that my wife and I had noticed that just something didn't seem right with them. We hadn't seen them as much as we usually do, and, and some things had changed in their life to put extra pressure on them, but, but just something wasn't right. And so it got to the point where I just simply had a conversation with them. And I said, guys, hey, um, you know, we noticed that, that something's just not right. And look, it's our job to, to offer to love on you the best way that we can. Whatever that is, we want to love on you the best way that we can. Well, how do we do that? And one of their responses is, is very telling. And they said, you know, you're right. Our marriage is uh, it's just struggling right now. We, we had some, some issues early on in our marriage that that weren't really fully dealt with, and, and now that we've had additional pressure going on in our marriage, it's like all of a sudden those things are coming back. And it's just hard because we've got, we got to make our kids a priority. We've got work every single day, it seems like, and it's just hard to work on us right now. This is why. If your marriage is struggling right now, I'm going to encourage you this week, go home and talk about this and get this Right? And when you do that, when you order these things, the time and focus that you spend in this world look different. It literally, they look differently than, than maybe what you're doing right now. And I want to talk about that for a second. Because you spend up spending your time and focus on your spouse rather than the things that you've placed as a higher priority. And when you do that, I'm just going to give you some practical tips here today that when you're spending time with each other, here are some things that you need to know. Now, ladies, ladies, I, I'm going to talk to you first but you got to hear me say something that's sometimes misconstrued first. The idea of spending time together can be translated as what, in my marriage, I call a date night or dedicated quality time with my spouse. That's what it looks like to make sure that I'm putting my spouse in the appropriate place in priorities. And when you spend quality time with your spouse, this is where time and focus gets really fun. And this is where I'm going to start with you ladies. You see, in my house, when my wife wants to talk to, about, talk to me about something important, here's what happens. I'm usually distracted by one thing or the other. Maybe it's my phone or my laptop or the television, for that example. And so I'm sitting there, and uh, here's how my brain works. I am focused on whatever that thing happens to be. My wife begins to talk to me. And for some ungodly reason, my brain takes a couple of seconds to say, Hey, man, your wife is trying to talk to you. And so... Like every good man, I direct my focus to my wife. I say something very simply like, Honey, I realize that you're trying to talk to me, and I probably missed the last three seconds of what you said. Can you please just tell me that? Because I really want to spend, I really want to hear what you have to say. 
Now, gentlemen, you know one of two things happens in this circumstance. Number one, you get an answer that's like, well, I guess it wasn't important in the first place. That's okay. (laughs) Uncomfortable laughter. I get it. The second thing that you might hear is very simply, yeah, you know what? I, I want to talk to you about something that's, uh, that's, that's important to me. Gentlemen, this is a fair request from your spouse. And ladies, to request it is what I'm asking you to do. If you need your man to listen to you, just please tell us that to our face. Say, hey, TV, mute, whatever. Okay, I need to talk to you right now. Now, when you do that, when you do that, I'm going to transition to you, gents. When your wife asks to spend time with you, or to have quality time just talking about whatever it is. That is a fair request, and you should honor it. But when you do, ladies, you know this is true. Gents, let me tell you what you're doing here. Most of you slap your tool belt on, and when she starts to talk, you say, oh, yeah, let's fix this problem. What you got? Is it your sister again? Okay, well, we don't need to help her anymore. So, uh, what, is it work? Oh, yeah, I got that problem. Uh-huh. We're going to fix this right now. Listen, guys, when your lady wants to talk to you about something that's on her heart, Don't pick up your tool belt. Put down your hammer and your pink tape measure (laughs) and listen to your spouse. And for some of you gents, I want you to pull out your notes. Right, Actually, every single gentleman in the crowd, I want you to pull out your notes right now because some of you need to write down these two words. Ladies, I know you're going to write these down for them if they don't anyway. (laughs) Shut it. Shut it. If I said up, that's a bad word in our house, so I don't say that. I've got a three-year-old. Shut it, guys. Focus on your spouse. Put down and turn off whatever it is that you need to put down and turn off. And ladies, this is not exclusive of the gentleman. Some of you have Pinterest lists that would rival like an army. (laughs) Put down whatever it is and spend time and focus on your spouse. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like on step two of what a great marriage looks like. Now let's go to the third step. If you're doing one and two well, well, I'll tell you what, number three is going to be easier for you. But you have to learn to fight well. Great marriages and spouses fight well. Now look, fight is a convenient word because that's the title of today's talk. I am not talking about throwing punches and knocking down walls in your home here. Let me be perfectly clear about that. I'm talking about the regular disagreements that happen in marriage. I don't care what kind of marriage you got, you're going to have conflict. How you handle that matters. And so I want to point you to just a little nugget from Ecclesiastes chapter 7. And see what you think about this. You see, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 9 says, Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. If you approach conflict and disagreement in your marriage, first and foremost, with a response of anger, let me just show you what you might as well do from now on. You better slap one of these bad boys on your chest as soon as you get going. Some of you are like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, mm mm-hmm, your elbow on your neighbor right now. This is not exclusive of men or women. I've seen the best and worst from each in this case. But this idea of how you approach conflict in the first place cannot be anger if you want to have a great marriage. Now, the next thing that I want to show you from James chapter 1, I don't know if you could call it maybe the the golden rule of marriage, but if there's a top 10 commitments of marriage, it's it's definitely in there. I guarantee you. I'm going to say top 5. But let me show you James chapter 1 verse 19. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Some of you right now, if you were to go home today and plug this principle into your marriage, 
and make it a, a, I don't know, a memory verse of your marriage, your life would be different tomorrow. I'm speaking to myself right now. It will not surprise you that I'm a talker. This is something that is valuable to the way in which you handle disagreement. This is not built for all the happy times, okay? It's built for the times when you need it the most. You know, when I was talking to Bill Miller about this idea of conflict in marriage, and both Debbie and Bill agreed that most couples don't handle conflict well, Bill shared with me something that's great, that in particular he uses to counsel men in this area. That's like I said, the idea of conflict is not exclusive to men or women, but here's what Bill says about handling conflict to the guys that he talks to. He says, your wife, gentlemen, is a piece of fine china in a gorilla's hand. You see, some of us, the way that we handle conflict, we go at it with, with like Hulk hands, right? We go at it like a problem to solve and we just want to smash it. What Bill is telling you here, guys, and what I know is true from Debbie as well, as she talks to women in marriage, is that the spouse that you have has been given to you as a gift from God. Your spouse is entrusted to you to be handled like a piece of fine china, to be honored and valued and set up. To have disagreements well that are going to happen, this also has to be true. Now, I'm going to get really practical for you really quickly. I could give you another list of something, a list of things that you could just uh, write down and be valuable, or I could just tell you what works in my own marriage when it comes to conflict, and something that my wife and I do all the time. We set ground rules and expectations when it comes to disagreements. We set ground rules and expectations on how to deal with conflict. I'm going to show you five things that happen and work in my marriage. Now, you can, you can say these are good for you or not good for you. That doesn't matter. What I'm encouraging you to do is to take what I feel works and do it your own way. Here are the five things in my marriage in which we deal with conflict. The first and primary rule is that it doesn't matter how hard the pain is, it doesn't matter how much I've hurt her or she's hurt me, that it never will get physical. It will never result physically when we have a disagreement in our marriage. You think that'd be obvious, but I can tell you that in some marriages in this church, it's not that obvious. And there are others on this list too. We never leave. We never leave our home or leave the premises when we're having a disagreement. That's important to my wife and I in a different way than maybe it would be for you. We never say the D word. We will never attack the core of our marriage or the reason that we got married in the first place. Some of you at, at, right out there right now will be chilled by this statement. Why did we even get married in the first place? What did it matter anyway? Number four is that we don't cuss. We don't use, we don't use language with each other that doesn't belong in our home. And number five, I've got a, we've got a three-year-old son. His name's Graham. I've talked about him pri- uh, previously. Um, we do our best to have those tough disagreements when he's not around. Most of the time, that's after he's put to bed. You see, these are just five things that we plug into our marriage to make sure that when we have conflict, we end up doing what we, uh, what we intend to do, which is to solve a problem and end up healthy on the other side. And so today, three practical things that you can plug into your marriage. Very first and foremost is that you've got to be God-centered. Nothing positive is on the other side if you can't be centered in God first, that your fortress is there. Secondly, you've got to learn to spend time and focus, to ply, remember that, on your marriage. The third thing is, is that you've got to learn to handle conflict and disagreements by fighting well. Now, many times on this stage, 
at the end of a talk, you'll hear some wisdom. You'll hear some all-over-encompassing wisdom that's been beneficial for whoever it happens to be. And if Danny's standing on this stage, you know, a lot of times it's going to come from a C.S. Lewis, but most often it's going to come from a guy named Dallas Willard, who's had a big impact in, uh, in his life. Uh, now me, I've only, been in, uh, I've only been back to ministry for about 10 months or so, so my wisdom catalog is a little bit different. But I want to show you a piece of wisdom that I think matters that would have solved my problem to begin with that I started telling you today. And that's very simply, do or do not. There is no try. C.S. Lewis, no he didn't. Yoda said that, everybody. This is actually written on the wall of my office. You see, if I would have understood that, look, a great marriage actually takes me doing something about it, fighting for it, I never, the words, oh, I just need to try to be more intentional, would have never come out of my mouth. We have to decide that we're going to do it. And we're actually going to allow you to start that process today. The last fill-in in your notes is very simply, I will fight for blank. I will fight for blank. And what I'm going to encourage you to do is to do something that I'm going to do right now. And that's, I'm going to write my wife's name in that blank. Now, if you're a student here with us today or you're younger and unmarried, I want to encourage you to write down the marriage of your parents. If you're widowed today, I want to encourage you to write down maybe the marriages of your family, your son's marriage, your daughter's marriage. Maybe you've been married and divorced and you're doing your best to get it right this time. Your spouse's name also belongs in there. And so I'm going to write Jennifer right here. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. But you know what? I, don't, I still don't think that's good enough. It's one thing to write it down on your notes and forget about it for six days till you come back and someone says, hey, that talk was great last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I have no idea what we talked about. So here's what I want you to do today. I want us to decide that we're going to fight for what a great marriage takes. I want us to decide that now is the time that in my marriage, I'm going to fight for it. Because it matters. And if that's you today, I just want to ask you a simple request. You're going to feel awkward doing it. I know you are. But I'm going to ask you to stand up. I'm going to ask you to stand up and tell your spouse or anybody else in this room that you're going to fight for your marriage. Because a great marriage matters not only to you, but it's about everybody else in your life that you have influence over. Because your marriage is about your son's marriage. It's about your daughter's marriage. It's about the marriage that your grandsons and your, grands and your granddaughters see every single day. It's about generational change that happens from one believer to another believer. This is about the marriages that are in your small groups that you need to love on and get in their face and say, hey, I see what's going on here. Tell me how I can love on you. And I want all of us just to look around right now. It's awkward to stand up in front of a bunch of other people, but I see couples standing up, and I see husbands standing up. I see wives standing up. And look, if you're a student here or a young person here with us today, I see you standing up to fight for your parents' marriage because the time that they spend together, the focus they spend on each other matters to you and what you see in the future. And I want to celebrate every single one of you. I see some fiancés out there standing up too, and it matters to you. And I want to celebrate all of you right now. You can have a seat. I hope that you feel in my heart that this is, this is real for me. Because it seriously matters. And there's something that I shared just a few minutes ago from the book of Psalms, and in particular chapter 62. 
that I want you to see again, because some of you here today need to hear this a second time, because the marriage needs to be the second thing in your priority list right now. And it's very simply this, he alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. You see, some of us that walk in this room today have been shaken just by this world in general, let alone our marriage or our relationship. And some of you might say, hey, look, I'm, I'm lucky to get off the ground most mornings, and, and you're lucky to even see me here. Because this idea of a fortress just doesn't exist for you yet. This idea of a, a rock, a solid place to stand where nothing can touch you doesn't exist for you yet. So if you walked in here today and, and you're in this moment and you feel that, that God's tucking on your heart or maybe he's been tugging at you for the last couple of weeks and you just, you haven't answered it yet. I want to provide you that opportunity. We do it on purpose around here because there is no better time than any other to accept his call to you. And so if that's you today, I, I'm going to lift up a prayer. And if you don't know the words to say, then just take mine Mix them up and make them yours. If you've got your own words, I'm going to encourage you. Speak directly to him today. Because you see, this, that first conversation between you and God is what matters. Between you and Jesus accepting him is what matters first before you can do anything else great in this world. And for those of you who've already made this decision, as we do this today, I just want to encourage you to pray for those hearts to be open. Pray for those hearts to be softened to folks that have walked in here hardened without any fortress to speak of. And if you're ready, I'd ask you just to bow your heads with me today. Jesus, we come to you grateful. Grateful that you offer us salvation. You offer us forgiveness for the things that, that we've done against, against those that we know and against you. Lord, we know that you took our sin upon you on that cross. And as you died, you paid that penalty. And Lord, me, I come to you right now. I am done being shaken. I am done being left out in the open without a fortress to be in. And so I ask you to be that fortress for me, be that salvation for me right now. I offer my heart to you and I simply ask that you invade it. Forgive me. Lord, I know this decision I make today is a one step in a journey and I simply just ask that you step with me on this journey. Remind me every day that you are there beside me as I try to get it right and live by the teachings that you give me. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If today was a day that you finally made that decision and reached out to him, I just want to say, welcome to the family. You see, I was a teenager and there were lots of things going on in my world when I felt shaken by everything. I faked it pretty well. I was the I was the kid that tried to make you laugh, trying to hide all the, the hurt, the pain that was going on behind me and everything that I had. And I finally made that decision. And when I did that, I got a slightly different version of this. It's still held together literally by scotch tape today. Enough for a whole roll, I think. And so for you, if you've made that decision, we just want to give you one for free. We want to hand you a one-year New Testament because one of the things that's most valuable in your early steps is to read what it is that Jesus says about you, how he loves you, how he wants to walk with you on this journey. And will all your problems go away? No. But I can promise you that as you walk with him, both he and we as a church want to stand by you the whole way.
We baptized over 60 people last week, and I hope you saw them commit their lives to the journey after they'd made a decision. So I encourage you to go step back at the back of our auditorium. We've got an incredible team that'd love to put one of these in your hands. And they're also going to tell you about Starting Point, which is a a conversational environment that we put together to, to say basically, hey, if you've been away from church for a long time, or maybe you've had tough questions that you've never been able to really get answered, or maybe you've made that decision today or in the previous weeks up until now to finally make that relationship real between you and Jesus, that we just offer you a conversational environment. It's just four weeks to do that, where you can help with other people in the same spot as you to help get you confident and comfortable in the foundation of our faith. I want to celebrate every single one of you that have made that decision today and all of you that decided to fight for a great marriage today. Will you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful. We're grateful for a place in which we can come and dig into what you say about us what you say about the things that matter most to you and in particular the relationships and marriage that we know matters to you. Wherever we are in our journey with relationships and marriage, I just ask that for those of us that are married, that you you stoke that fire inside of us, stoke the fire of our marriage so that it burns as bright as it did on the first day. Lord, for those of us that have struggled and been through a divorce, I ask that you embolden our hearts, brighten us and give us courage to know that the right way is possible. And Lord, for those of us that see marriages above us in our family tree, help provide us a step in which we can love and encourage those in our lives. Lord, we love you. We love you for this body. We love you for what you provide. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey, I'm going to tell you to bring a friend next week because, by the way, that actually matters around here. You know, if it's only when you invite your friends to church they get to hear crazy messages about how Jesus loves them. Have a great week, and we'll see you next.